Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey Life Church, I'm so glad that you guys are joining us again. We are in week 18 of our series called Wake Up the House. And today um, I want you to wake up to your confession about being a Christian. To explain it more, I'm going to talk to you about home field advantage. Home field advantage. What is home field advantage? Well, we will understand it more when we look at some of the most significant home field advantage fields in the world. This will explain it to you. Um, The Arrowhead attendees, they reclaimed the Guinness World Record for the loudest outdoor crowd in the world at Century Link Field. The fans reached a decibel level of 142.2. That's extremely loud. The Bell Center in Montreal, they made their mark six years ago when the arena hit a record noise level of 138 decibels during a Stanley Cup playoff game. Now, this is indoor. The other one was outdoor. That's extremely loud. Ohio State College Football, they have a seating capacity of 100,000 fans, one of the largest football venues in the world. Now, the Buckeyes... They boast of an 87.7% winning percentage over the last 20 years when they play at home. 87.7% of the time, if they play at home, they're going to win. Now, here's some of your major sports in North America about home field advantage. Major League Baseball, 53.9%, the home team wins. NHL, 55.7% of the time, the home team wins. NFL, 57.3% of the time, the home team wins. NBA basketball, 60.5% of the time, the home team wins. And then MLS, the one we really don't care about, soccer, 69.1% of the time, the home team wins. What makes the difference between home field advantage and playing away from home? Fans plays a major part. The dressing rooms, traveling, accommodation, all those things makes a difference for the team who's visiting the home team. But the biggest difference, the most significant one, is the aggression and the support of the fans. The support for their team and the aggression towards the team that's visiting or competing against their home team. Now, I think most of us, if you are 35 years old, we grew up in a different world. And I think you would recognize it. It's different. A world where being a Christian when I grew up, was almost the standard. And some of those standards, I do think, I think some of the standards and the things we had in place, they were ridiculously religious. But wow, have things ever changed? It's like the pendulum swung way too far over to the other side. And we are now living in a day of no shame. Evil is being publicly paraded. And it should be clear today that the home field advantage that Christians used to have, it's been lost. We lost the home field advantage. We are now the visiting team. The culture is no longer cheering us on as the standard. Christian values are no longer the norm. It's been rejected in all systems of society and culture at varying degrees. Schools. When I grew up, like many of you, we used to be able to pray in school. 
Evangelize in school. Pray before sports and activities. No more of that. Government used to make the decisions on what is morally correct and uplifting biblically. No more of that. Social media, I don't think we've ever had the home field advantage on social media, but it's now actually being used to oppose Christianity and Christian morals. You are being shamed and attacked, not just in your neighborhood, but globally for taking a stand for Christ. There was a time, and I think you'll recognize this, where you could hide around religious circles, little religious bubbles, or in church, because it was accepted everywhere, because that's where everyone was. You could be in that circle. That time is gone. Today, you and I, we are being called out because Christian standards have been rejected across the board and you can no longer hide just inside your church. Education, media, politics, entertainment. It is, it's become crystal clear. Whatever remnants of a Christian nation Canada used to have no longer exists. And now we are at the stage where the one entity that was designed to hold the line is crumbling also. Many are trying to silence the Christian faith. Unless you are so vague that nobody knows what you are standing for anyway, they don't care about a fog-vague church that stands on nothing and for nothing. But I want to call on you, listening to this message today. I want to call on all of us. I want us to wake up. We have to wake up. We have to wake up and make the decision to be an unapologetic Christian. We will not apologize for our faith. Why? Because we are arrogant and think we know it all? No. Because the world needs the love and the grace and the power of God in their lives. His ways lead towards life. And we need the world to hear it from us. Our reason for our stand is love, people. It's not anger. It's not because we want to prove a point. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 32. He said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus brings up the issue of confession. If you confess me, I'll confess you. If you deny me, I'll deny you. Now, now, this was not a statement said to pagans or unbelievers. This was a statement said to his disciples. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to us, his children. When he talks about confession and denial, he's talking to his followers. Now, to confess means to publicly identify with. It is the verbal and the visual identification of yourself to be in league with Jesus. I am identified with Christ. 2 Timothy 1 verse 8 says the following. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed about your testimony about the Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Join with me. 
He says, don't be ashamed of your identification as a Christian. Church, please hear me. World, all of you believers, hear me. Don't be ashamed to be identified as a Christ follower. If you confess me before men, Jesus says, I will confess you before the Father. And don't be ashamed. Know this, there is a promise for you in your confession. We live in a day where there is shame on morals. But no shame on immorality. You see things on television you would never have thought that you would have seen on television. You hear language that you never thought you would have heard. You see people fighting for immoral rights that would have never been done before. This is what gets to me about the, all these things. I don't hear anybody apologizing for the wrong. In other words, what they're saying is everything else but values, everything else is a just cause. That's just the way it is. And for some other reason, the church, we've been silenced in our confession about Jesus. What we stand for as Christians should not be opposed. But it's because we've kept quiet. They don't know what we stand for. Somebody else is telling them what we are standing for and it's incorrect. What we stand for as believers and followers of Jesus. If you look at Jesus, there's nothing in his life that you can point to that you can say that was bad. We stand as Christians for family. We stand as Christians for marriage. Marriages to be healthy and strong between male and female, as it says in the Bible. We stand for generosity, for being generous, for caring for the orphan and the widow and for our neighbors, for being kind, for being gracious, for forgiveness. We stand for life. We want people to have life and to have it abundantly. We stand for purpose. You've been created for a purpose. Jesus has a plan for your life. We stand for you to be free. Jesus says, I want you to confess me before men. Our confession is about what he stands for. Why don't we do that? So many of us. Why, why don't we do that? Because... We like the people, I think, today spoken of in John 12. And John 12, verse 42 and 43 says, ne Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him. So they were rulers and they believed in him. They became Christian. Many rulers believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. He says, don't let your fear of people outpace or overrule your fear of the Lord. They believed on him in Jesus. They got saved, but they didn't want to be rejected by people. And I know that's hard, people. All of you, I know that's hard. They didn't want to lose their popularity. They didn't want to lose their notoriety or friendships. They didn't want to lose their public acceptance. And so they believed in Jesus. They were on their way to heaven, but they didn't want to lose acceptance on earth. And, and I do think that is one of the biggest challenges we face as Christ followers. And so it says they wouldn't confess. They would be secret agent Christians. And today, today we live in a world of political Christians, 
Christians who use politics and wrap their Christianity in a flag rather than in the cross. We live in a day of, of cultural Christians who wrap their Christianity in the subject of race and groups rather than in the king's culture. And understanding that we are all brothers and sisters. We cannot solve racism without Christ. We live in a day of convenient Christianity who want to use their God for their blessing, but they don't want to represent him in the culture unless they're in church. Because they are so scared of not being popular. Convenient. Give me blessing. But don't ask anything of me. Jesus says, unless you confess me before men. And he's talking about public identification. Now notice, you must confess him. You must confess him unless you confess me. Not just his father. In other words, saying God won't cut it. That's vague Christianity. He says you must confess him. Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been assigned by the Trinity to represent the Godhead on earth, in history, in time, and in space. Jesus is God's representative. So you become a Christian by faith alone in Christ apart from your works. But once you become a Christian, now you are to be a disciple of Jesus, which means you are to confess Him. He says, believe and be baptized. And that is what baptism is. It's saying, I'm willing to publicly be, to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a Christ follower. So the question is, on your job, where you go to work, in your neighborhood, if you are accused of being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? Or would they find that they don't have enough evidence to convict you? You will be found innocent. Of all charges, because there's no proof of your Christianity. Your actions, your lifestyle, your language, your contribution to their lives. Remember, this is so important. As believers in Christ, like Jesus, we are called to contribute to life. Christianity is not about consumption. It's about contribution. Or the other one, are you an apologetic Christian? Oh, I just want to apologize for being a Christian. Some Christians are, and I know many of them are, because of fear. They are scared. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he becomes like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? See, the whole idea of following Christ is to be like him, to be like Christ. In the same way, he reflects the standards of the Father. We are to reflect the standards of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so are you a confessing, a confessing Christian, meaning publicly identifiable, not just privately, with your words, with your actions, and with your deeds, would they be able to say you are a Christ follower? Our confession is important because the world needs it. Now, having said that, what is the issue here of confession? Why confession? Why is it important for us as believers to start confessing Christ more? In Matthew 10, Jesus spoke about this. He said, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. 
Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So there is a reason for taking up your cross. There is a reason for your confession. See, there is this unsettled issue for many Christians and for many of us. Some of you listening, there's an unsettled issue in your life. It has not been settled. And that issue will affect your confession, not only for yourself, but for those who are in your life and who have to find proof regarding your Christianity. The unsettled issue is the issue of lordship. The issue of lordship. Let, let me show you what it means in Romans 10. It says, if you confess me with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's Romans 10 from verse 9. He's talking about opening your mouth. Now notice, when you believe, you are made righteous. So you are righteous because you believe. That is, you get saved in the way that we use it. You are on your way to heaven because you believe in Jesus Christ. But he says, with your mouth, that is, your public identification. In your public identification, that is where you get deliverance. God, through Christ, will only join you in history, in time, in space on earth, if you are not ashamed of him. If you are not apologetic about him. If you hide behind the word God. So that you don't have to deal with the inconvenience of Jesus. If I don't say Jesus, they won't know I'm a Christian. The house cannot wake up without recognizing this law in the kingdom. You wouldn't be in the kingdom if it's not for Jesus. There would be no eternal future if somebody hadn't paid the price for all our sins. There shouldn't be an uncertain sound coming from you when it's about Jesus Christ. In Acts 10, 36, he says, he is Lord of all. In Ephesians 1, he says, declares that all things have been placed under Christ's feet. He is to be confessed. In Romans 14 verses 8 to 10 it says, For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that we might be Lord, that He might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Christ died and lived to be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So, so when you and I stand, what the scripture is saying, when you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be one major question that he's going to ask of us. Was I Lord? Was I Lord? The only reason you're up here is because I'm Savior. But I want to know, while I left you on earth, was I Lord? That is, did I own you? In Titus 2.13, he says, he is our Savior and our God, our Lord. He's our Savior and our Lord. In John 20.28, 20, he says, my Lord, my God. It is the recognition that Jesus is not just some nice human being figure um, who we ought to respect. He is the son of the living God who ought to be worshipped and he is our Lord. 
So how do you know? How do I know whether the lordship issue has been resolved in our lives? Whether you have made the lordship decision, because there is a lordship decision which you and I have to make. You have to make that decision. I can't make it for you. I have to make it for myself. How do you measure if you've made that decision? Because anybody, like he says, can say, Jesus is Lord of my life. Lord, Lord. That sounds evangelically accurate. Anybody can say that. But how do you know that Jesus is Lord? Let me tell you how. Jesus says, he says, you can know whether the lordship has been issued. Uh, the lordship issue has been addressed in your life by the following. In Luke 6, 46, he says, how do you call me Lord, Lord? And you do not do what I say. How do you call me Lord, Lord? And you do not do what I say. Have the Lordship issue been resolved in your life? And the Lordship issue is about your confession. Your confession before men with your mouth, but also with your life. How do you call me Lord, Lord? How do you use the term and you call me Lord? And then you're telling me you're doing something opposite to what I say you're supposed to do. God gives us instruction and says, you need to do this this way, and then we do it our way. I say this about man and about a husband, you say something else. I say this about a woman and a wife, you say something else. I say this about marriage, you make up new rules. I say this about sex, you say something. I say this about finances and the tithe, and you say it's not convenient for me. I say this about forgiveness and offense and love and respect and grace, and you change it so it suits your comfort levels. I keep saying what I'm saying is God saying, and you keep coming up with the stuff you say, and then you're going to call me Lord? He says, how do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? If I'm Lord, that means you're adjusting. That means change will happen in your life. That means there will be growth. That means because you are applying my principles, you're going to move from infant to mature. That means you will lay down your opinions and culture's opinions and social media trends. And you will change your ways to adjust to what God says about it. We live in a world where Christians are asking God to adjust so that we can make people and culture happy. And that is wrong. Sure, we ought to be sensitive. We are to be kind and compassionate and we are to be loving and we are to walk in grace and forgiveness and wisdom. Our intention should always be to bring restoration and restored relationship. To not do that is also not doing what he is saying. But you do not do that by changing the truth to blend in with society. That has already rejected our Savior. Now, what you and I must understand is a simple principle. What I must understand, what we, the church, must understand. It's like we're having, we're having problems with getting this. He says in John 2, 24, but Jesus did not trust them because he knew all men. He did not need anyone to tell him about man. He knew what was in man. Let me put it another way. Jesus doesn't have the same commitment equally to every Christian. We're all equal children 
You are his son, I'm his son, you're his daughter, I'm his daughter. We are all children. But he's not equally committed to every child because of our confession. Because if you are ashamed of him, it says he would not commit himself to them even though they believe. In, in um, Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of sin. Romans 10. The problem with that scripture is that scripture was spoken of Christians, not non-Christians. In other words, you can't call on the name of the Lord if you can't confess the name of the Lord. If you can't confess, don't bother to pray. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 1 and 2 talks about the saints of Corinth. They were calling on the name of the Lord because they were applying his principles, doing what he says. They were following his ways so they can call on the name of the Lord. In Acts 7.59, it says that Stephen was ready to die. And while he was ready, he's being stoned. And while he was being stoned, he called on the name of the Lord and saw Jesus standing on the right side in heaven, right in the Father. If we confess with our mouths, God is faithful and he will respond. But if we won't confess, don't bother to call. Because he has no obligation to folks who deny him. Now, confession will have a price tag, and I want you to know this. And this is what we have to recognize, because I don't think we speak enough about the price tag. But there's also tremendous reward. Having Jesus at Lord will have a price tag, and I want you to know this. Because for some of you, it will cost. In Luke 14, it says, Now a large crowd was going along with Jesus with him and he turned and said to them anyone who comes after me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple meaning unless i am lord unless you lay down your own opinions and your father's opinions and your mother's and your brothers and your sisters unless you separate my ways from theirs i cannot be your god you are not my disciple so there is a sword in our confession that will cause separation. And once you are willing to appropriately and lovingly and compassionately confess Jesus, identify with Jesus, there will be a divide that will happen in your life. But you will be on God's side. It will create a divide. And I think now more than ever, because there is a public denial of Jesus like we haven't seen. He says, if your own family, there will be fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and sons-in-laws and mothers-in-laws that can't even sit around the same dinner table anymore because there is a divide. Now, our divide is not on religion. We are not divided because of religion. Our stand is not on religion. Our stand is on Jesus. Because when you are clear, he says, those who reject me, Jesus said, will also reject you. This is why we need to mature in our faith. That's why if you didn't listen to Wake Up the House Week 7, please go and listen to it. We need to mature as believers in our faith. This is why we need to grow from infants in Christ to mature believers in Christ. And remember, infants, hear the word, read the word, know the word, been around the word for 50 years but they don't apply it. That's an infant. But a mature believer hears the word, applies the word to his life, and because he's applying the word, 
growth happens. Why does growth happen? Because you are aligned with your confession and that Jesus is Lord of your life because you aligned under His ways. And when there's alignment, what happens is God moves. When we do this church, we are aligned in God's ways and that opens the door for God to lead us, to guide us and to move from national news to local news. From just a word for the church for a word to you. For direction for the body, for direction for you. The world needs the church to wake up to the confession because it leads towards maturity and our confession opens up to Jesus and to God to infiltrate our lives. God aligns with those confessions and His power and His grace is released in our confessions. And it says that we will know and they will know that He is God by the, our good works. By your good works will they know that I am your God. God wants the world to see Him and God wants the world to see His goodness. And unless we wake up church unapologetically to Jesus' ways, that will not happen. So I'm calling on all of you. I want to say this again. This is not in war. This is not in anger. This is not in spite. This is not in arrogance. This is not, this is not in boastfulness. This is in humility. We are going to submit our lives to Christ, to His Lordship. And you will see how His principles in your life is going to impact your life. And that's going to become our confession. I'm following God's ways. Now, people will come against you following God's ways. And that's okay. But the fruit of following God's ways, life. But it starts with our confession. I hope all of you will join me in being bold about your relationship with God. Not about religion. About your relationship with God. And I hope it will cause you to start confessing Jesus as your Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you for your love and we want to thank you for your word. Father, and I want to confess, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord and Savior. And I want to invite all of you, if you're sitting there, I want you to make this confession with me. Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, you are my Lord, which means I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to follow your instruction. I'm going to align with how you say I should live my life. You are my Lord. And I want to thank you for also being my Savior. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church Audio Podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.